in the Reading Corner today. I'm really thrilled to be welcoming Rashmi Sardesh Pandey to talk to us about her latest book, which is Dada G's Paintbrush. Now, I know that many of our listeners will be very familiar with Rashmi's work because Never Show a T-Rex a Book, which I can see behind her as we're chatting, and Never Show a Stegosaurus How to Do Sums are two extremely popular books with teachers and children in school. I can't believe that we've got to this point in your career, though, uh, Rashmi, and we haven't had a conversation. So it is nice to be meeting you. It's really lovely to be here. I know I'm I'm thrilled to be chatting to you today um, about books. It's one of my favourite things. So this is a it's a very different book to the two that I quoted at the beginning there. And I did notice in your dedication, perhaps you could read the dedication to us. Sure. It says, in loving memory of my grandfather, Sri Lakshmi Gant Desai. And this is where this whole book came from, from my love for my grandfather and his love for me and little snippets from his life in Goa, but also blended in with my father's and to some extent mine because I was born here in England, but I lived my early years in in Goa. My grandmother took me as a baby to Goa and I lived with them. As far as I was concerned, my grandfather and grandmother were my parents and I called them that (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) You know, so they were deep in my heart. And there is a line in this book, which I think we'll come to, which is the truest line that I've ever, ever, ever written in a book is where it says that the grandfather held the boy so tight that his bones would hurt. That that part was the truest line that I've ever written because that is what my grandfather used to do. And he was not a touchy-feely person, but he loved me to the core. And whenever it was time for me to leave Goa and come back here, he would hold me so tight. And that wasn't the kind of thing that he would do. So it meant so much more coming from him. And this whole book blossomed from that one core memory that I had held in my heart for so long. And the story grew around it, actually. And this is a story about a grandfather and his young grandson and how they bond over activities, painting. Mm. They do everything together. Are these the sorts of things that you did with your grandfather or were there different activities? They were different things, but it was the idea of of having that bond and wanting to do everything together. The activities actually come from what my father does with my children. So as I said, this book is a blend of things. It's just, it's all come together in this one point, but it's it's a it's a blend of things that mean a lot to me. So seeing my father with my children and all the things they do together, and they're inseparable, really. It's so beautiful to watch. And I took those things, the the reading together, the making things together, the cooking, all of this, and and put it together in this story. And I gave it to these characters, if that makes sense. Of course. (laughs) Absolutely. The other thing that I really loved, I mean, the relationship um, is obviously a huge thing, but I also loved your evocation of India. And I think anybody who has visited India and been caught in a monsoon, (laughs) as indeed I have, (laughs) We'll know what that's like and the idea of being able to float these boats on the water. This is sort of a love for India in this book as well. There is, and there is in my bones too. And 
you know, I'm I'm very much British. I was born here, but I'm also very much Indian, and I'm proud of that dual heritage. So, um, I wanted to infuse this book with that joy and wonder that I feel when I think of India and the, and the good things. I mean, obviously, every country has its has its not so good things, but these precious moments, juicy mangoes, jackfruit, the monsoon rain, these are, are beautiful things that I wanted to capture in this story and again, give to these characters. But I wanted to also pull the reader into that world because it really is so magical. I'm actually going now in August again in the monsoon. And some people say, well, why would you travel in the monsoon? But really the greens are so green when it rains. And Ruchi, I think, has just captured that so beautifully with her artwork. It just, it just so happens that she understood from reading the story and from seeing my name, she knew where this story was located. It wasn't in the illustration notes. She comes from a similar region to me. And so because of that, the architecture, the you know, right down to the tiles on the roof, um, the foliage around the buildings, the setting is just exactly as I imagined it in my heart. And she says that she knew when she read my text, that is where I was. When I described those fruits, those flowers, she was transported to that location. And that's what she she painted. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. So a good match uh, on the publisher's part. Yes. Uh, Rushi Masane, um, the illustrator uh, of the book, we'll give her a name check there because she has, as yes. you said, done such an amazing job. I just wonder, just listening to you talk with such passion, um, about the evocation um, of India. Do you see it as a gift in a way that you were able to spend that time, even though you're British born, that you mm. were able to spend that time there? Do you feel that it had, well, it must have informed the person that you are? Oh, definitely, most definitely. And I think especially because where my family's from is sort of semi-rural, quite rural. You know, we, we do grow mangoes, jackfruit in our garden. And we, we do have that sort of connection with nature and community is so important. And, you know, that's a big theme in this book as well. It was a big theme for my grandfather. I think growing up, seeing all of that and having that be a part of your life, it, it changes you in a way. It makes you see the world through a different lens. And I just wanted to share a little bit of that with readers here. And there are so many aspects to India. I know there will be people who will look at this and say, well, that's not the India that I visited when I saw Mumbai or so I saw Delhi. And absolutely, that is one aspect. But this is this is what I grew up with. So, yes, it definitely has contributed to who I am today. And I, I love that. I, I love having that foot in two worlds, as I call it. Do you know, I think yeah. it's time where we ought to hear a little bit of the story to get a sense of just how wonderful and lyrical it is. Thank you. Okay. So... Dadaji's Paintbrush, illustrated by Ruchi Masani. Once, in a tiny village in India, there was a boy who loved to paint. He lived with his grandfather in an old house full of paintings. First, the boy painted with his fingers. He printed with marigolds, beetle leaves and coconut shells. As he got bigger, he painted with brushes made of sticks with strips of cloth, reeds or jasmine flowers wrapped around the ends. The village children would peep through the windows to watch them paint. Sometimes the boy's grandfather would invite them to join in. The boy and his grandfather did everything together. They grew bananas, pineapples and jackfruit and sold them in the local market, shared sticky, juicy mangoes with the village children 
and made paper boats for them to float down the street in the monsoon rain. They read books and picked out what they'd paint the next day. When the rains had gone, every night they lay on their rooftop beds and watched the stars until they fell asleep. They didn't have much, but they had each other. Mm. Don't ever leave me, the boy would say. I won't, the grandfather would reply, holding the boy so tight that his bones would hurt. But one day, he did. What happens, though, in this story? You've already led us on to this sad moment where, of course... The, the natural thing is that the older generation die away. And the boy in this story finds his grandfather's favourite paintbrush. And I did confide in you just before we started recording that under my desk, I have a wooden case and in it, it has my dad's old easel and oil paints. And uh, it really struck me how, you know, sometimes we have one special object do you have something of your grandfather's that is so special to you that you hung on to? No, actually, I don't. And he was not a man who collected lots and lots and lots of things. His house was very minimalist and there were little idols that he had that I loved to take down and play with. And everyone would say, how can you do that? That's, you know, that's really disrespectful. And he would let me and he didn't care. I'd get little leaves from the garden and play with them. But they're, they're still there. In, in Goa now with my with my grandmother. But what I did was I I kept whatever I could of him in my heart. There is no physical thing. And I regret that sometimes, but maybe that's why I made this book, because now this is the thing that I look at and, and remember him all the time. And it was actually one of the first picture books I've ever written, um, yeah. even though it's taken so long to publish. Mm. It's interesting hearing you say that, because I've spoken to a number of writers recently whose book that has come out recently partway through an established career was the one that they wrote first and it's almost like the first book is so much a part of your heart that it's worth hanging on to it until you've done the apprenticeship if you like because it deserves the very best of you I don't know if that's a fair fair thing to say I think it makes sense and in my case it's not that we edited it late, it was ready, it's been ready for a long time. But I think, I feel like it coming out at this stage of my career has been such a beautiful thing, because I feel more established now, even though I've only been published for a few years, it feels like the right time to have this book come out, which is completely different to my other mm. books. But I feel confident enough to still stand by it and say, this is also me. This is another side of me that maybe you haven't seen before with my big, funny commercial voice in these other books. Um, and, you know, a very different thing to, to what, what we've made as, you know, illustrator author pairings with other books. This is, is a lyrical story. It's, it's heartfelt. It's sensitive. It's different. But it, it just feels like I, I'm confident enough to say, actually, as a writer, I do different things. And this is one of them. It's a short picture book, 32 pages as usual, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like a story in three acts because we've got the relationship that's described at the beginning of the book. Then we've got the loss and the boy who doesn't really know what to do um, mm-hmm. w- with his grief. And then one day a little girl comes and knocks on the door and she is the daughter of one of the village girls who used to be invited into grandfather and the boys painting lessons and things turn around then. And I love this idea because really the boy has learned a lesson that he doesn't even realise that he's learnt from his grandfather. 
and often we don't realise we're learning those things. Tell us a little bit about where the story goes to next. So yes, he's been he's been really struggling with his grief and he doesn't know what to do with it. He can't look at the paintbrush that his grandfather's left him. He's locked away all the paintings. He's tried to close the door on that part of his life. And then this girl arrives and visually with the artwork, she brings a splash of colour back into the story because all of these spreads where he is he is struggling with this grief are grey and you know, they're very dark and shadowy. And then the palette changes as she opens the door, the greens come in, the light comes in. And he resists the idea at first, but she says, please, and she just won't leave. And he starts to paint with her and she makes a mistake. She's ready to give up. And he remembers something about how his grandfather used to teach him about how there are stages and layers and everything can be fixed. And there's always a way. And together, they've always worked that out. So he goes back, he opens the door, he shows her these paintings, shares that part of his world with her and lets her in, really, just as he's letting the light and the hope back in. And he starts to paint with her, he teaches her. And he becomes someone who is carrying on his grandfather's legacy, just naturally, without realising it. He's bringing the village children in. He is sharing mangoes with them. He's making paper boats for them to float down the rain in the monsoon rain. And he's doing this just organically. And by doing that, he realises that people that we love never really leave us, but they live on inside us in some way through the things that we do. And that's where I wanted to leave the reader with that feeling of hope that, that things have changed, the sun has come out, the colour has come back in. And this boy has found his purpose and a way of, of keeping his grandfather's memory alive through his actions. Mm. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I must just ask you, you talked about children learning from your father. It's a, it's a never-ending yeah chain of learning from those that have gone before us um what what do you notice in in their relationship that you really appreciate it's that love of learning and that's that's what I have received from my father in fact and which he received from his my father was one of the first people to go to school in his village because my grandfather believed in it so much that he created a school and so that sense of community um my grandfather was someone who would who would create something for the community if it didn't exist. And my father does that just naturally because he's grown up seeing that. And my way of doing it, doing that is by writing. So I feel like we, we do these things in different ways, but I'm very conscious that this comes from, you know, it comes from my father. It comes from his father. It comes from the family. It's not something I've woken up and said, I'm going to give something to the world. I've been raised that way. I've been watching them. I've been, seeing what they do for the community, that their hearts are big enough to hold more than just our little family. And I've wanted to do that too, just in my own way. But it's the same thing. And I see that. And the love of learning, as I said, coming back to that, throughout all of my books, you will see that curiosity, wonder at the world, this love of learning, all of the funny books, you know, never show a T-Rex the book, never teach a stegosaurus to do sums. They're the opposite, really. They're all about reading for pleasure and science and technology and being just so curious and chasing your dreams, even my nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It comes across in everything and here through art. I see you can cow. Oh, the yes, you that, can cow. Yes, yeah. you can cow. I love yeah. that. That's also Thank about you. being able to do things. 
Yes, it is. That one's illustrated by Rick and Parrick, and he's he's wonderful. He's one of my favorites. And that book is about finding courage, um, understanding the power of yet, the fact that we may not be able to do something yet. It doesn't mean we can't do it. It may take a few tries. We may, may make mistakes, but we'll get there. Um, and it's also on the flip side about empathy, about understanding when someone's going through that struggle, <laughs> finding their courage, being supportive rather than frustrated and helping them along. So it's, again, it, it all comes from the things that I've seen around me, um, the, the examples set by my father, my grandfather and, and others in my family. I've kind of taken those things and poured them into my writing just naturally. Mm. Tell us about some of your older nonfiction and how that fits yes. into the profile, because they're not all for very young children. You've no, for quite a wide age range. Yes, I go through all of primary, which is great for school visits because I, I love speaking <laughs> to to everyone in the school. But the so the older nonfiction, um, Cash was the first one that that came out, which is the all of these older ones I'm talking about, illustrated by Adam Hayes, and Cash was about money and how to earn it, save it, spend it, grow it, and give it away. And the giving was really important culturally for me to make that not just an add-on, but something that's threaded throughout the book. So it's something that looks at money, which I feel in the UK can often, or many countries, can often be seen as a bad thing, a negative thing. Um, and obviously there, there are so many bad things that come of it, greed, um, conflict all of this but then money can also be such a force for good and so I wanted to write a book that empowered young people to think about how they might earn it how they might use it responsibly but also to see it as a positive thing that can rebuild cities that can save lives that can change lives it's, it's not money it's what you do with it so that book is a similar kind of it's skills it's learning it's giving to the world um, good news why the world is not as bad as you think looks at all the biggest issues we face on this planet, things like climate change, global health issues, inequality, um, all kinds of things. And it shines a spotlight on the good things that have been happening and all the people who have worked so hard to, to get us where we are because we've made amazing progress in a world where we keep hearing about how everything's so bad. I wanted to show how actually a lot of good things are happening. So I feel like there's a lot of pressure on younger generations to say, sorry, we messed up. You need to fix it. And that's a lot for a young person to handle. I keep hearing from young people, this is a lot. It's a burden. And so I wanted a book that is hopeful and uplifting and anxiety busting that says, all on your shoulders, look at all these people doing this work already. Maybe you'll want to join them someday. And here are some little steps, little things that you can do if you feel like it. But even if they don't feel like it, Hopefully it's reassuring to see that work is happening. Progress has been made and will be made. There are reasons to be hopeful about the future. So that was that book. It was also about equipping children to help them navigate the news, navigate the biggest issues of our time all in one book. And those so those two are sort of nine plus, I'd say. But they've been used by, by much older readers mm -hmm. too because I always promise never to talk down to a reader. I'll, I'll never do that. I will make things accessible. I will try to understand them as best I can so I can do that and simplify, but I will never be patronizing. So there's a lot in those in those books. And then I wrote the World Book Day book, Think Like a Boss, which similar lines, it was about thinking like an entrepreneur, but no matter what you're doing, whether you're on the sports field, on the dance floor, or actually wanting to set up a business or raise money for charity. 
Um, but again, there's that big thread of community and giving and doing something for the world and the love of learning, which I think you'll see in almost all of my books. Yeah. I'm seeing the thread through all of them. You're seeing the thread. <laughs> yeah. But I think you have to tell me about Wind in the Willows. Yeah. How does that fit? Well, I don't know. That was just magical. Um, Puffin just asked me if I'd be up for doing a retelling. And I said, oh, my goodness, how can I possibly take a classic like that and turn it into a picture book? What a responsibility. This is such a loved book. And I fell in love with the story and I just, the characters, the world, and they found the most amazing illustrator in Jojo Clinch for this. And we, we, we wrote this book. It's sort of a longer picture book. There were a few things that were tweaked so that we have stronger women in this. <laughs> and, you know, a, mm. a, few, a few things were updated. Actually, there are no women, really, except the woman, <laughs> are there, in yes. Wind in the Willows? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, a few things were, cha- were changed. Um, but I kept the heart of the story. And I always said that. I was told that I could do a spin-off if I wanted to. And I said, no, do you know what? This is such a loved classic. Let me be true to the spirit of this book and keep those beautiful characters and their friendships and their quirks. And um, the reactions have been lovely and people have really enjoyed it. So I'm happy because it was a huge (laughs) responsibility. But I love how it's turned out. So what can we expect next from you? I'm sure there's something that's already on somebody's (laughs) desk somewhere. (laughs) Yes, there are things on desks, definitely. I'm working on some more South Asian characters that you will see them in different settings. You'll see more from me um, that is to do with my Indian side, definitely. And you'll see that in different flavors. There will be the sensitive storylines, not about grief, but other themes. But I will bring my um, my culture to that and my my that lens. And then you will also see South Asian characters in, in settings where we don't see them that often. I want to add to that growing canon of seeing these characters everywhere in all kinds of stories. Um, And I have one that I've just come up with that my editor Puffin loves. I'm crossing my fingers that we get that story over the line. But they're exciting things. I'm also working on some nonfiction ideas and also a lower middle grade, again, with a South Asian protagonist. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm trying to do a lot of different things, (laughs) which is pretty standard for me (laughs) well the great news is that that gives us opportunity to chat again in the not too distant future because it's been really enjoyable talking to you today (laughs) in the reading corner thank you so much for having me I've loved speaking with you and thank you in the reading corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes this episode is generously sponsored by Anderson Press If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.